You're listening to a podcast by Abide Church and Pastor Dan DeBell in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We pray this podcast helps you live, love, and look more like Jesus this week. Enjoy the message. Um, hey, today, I have a message that God put on my heart that I think is um, specifically for our church, but I know that there's a lot of spiritual truths and principles in this message um, that are going to apply to your life as well. And so uh, today's title, the title for today's message is Redigging Old Wells. Redigging Old Wells. And um, I actually taught a version of this, or taught this passage, I should say, uh, to our, our A-team earlier in the year in February, and I just felt like God was prompting me to, to dive a little bit deeper into this and pull a little bit more out of it uh, for our church as we get into the new year, but also, like I said, I think there's something in here specifically for each one of us that can apply to you and can apply to your life. And so redigging old wells, we're going to be in Genesis 26, so if you brought your Bible, you can go to Genesis 26. I'm going to read from the, the ESV today, but you can follow along in your Bible. Obviously, I'll have it on the screen for you, and uh, I'm going to hop kind of right into it. The, the point number one is this, if you're taking notes. We need to understand the necessity of famine. Understand the necessity of famine. Famine is something um, that no one, it's not a, it doesn't seem like a good thing. No one likes to go through. But I think um, sometimes we go through seasons where it feels like you're in a spiritual famine, where it just feels like, man, I'm not where I should be. I'm not getting back what I feel like I should be. I feel like I'm stuck. I feel like I'm in a drought. I feel like I just can't, I don't know, I'm not taking ground. And sometimes I think we get into those and we, we begin to point fingers or we get discouraged. But I want to show us in Scripture how oftentimes it's out of a famine season that God does his best work. Many times God works in the famine season to do something something in you and through you to set you up for uh, success coming out of it. In some ways, it almost is like, uh, uh, think of a, um, a slingshot. In many ways, you go through a famine season, and it's like if you were put into a giant slingshot, and it feels like you're going backwards. It feels like you keep, man, I, we're trying to get ahead, but it feels like I'm taking, always taking a step back, and I'm always taking a step back. Well, eventually, the slingshot gets to a point where all the tension has to go forward. And I think that's what happens oftentimes out of a famine season. You feel like, man, I just can't take any more hits going backwards. And that's when God says, all right, it's time to release. And when he releases you, you go farther than you ever could just walking on your own. And so I want to encourage you with this. Understand the necessity of famine. Let me start in Genesis 26, beginning in verse 1. And uh, we'll see how this applies to us here. It says this, Now there was a famine in the land, Besides the, the former famine that was in the days of Abraham, and Isaac went to Gerar to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him, and he said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land which I shall tell you. Dwell in the land which I shall tell you. Let me stop here for a second. Again, I just kind of said this, but let me reiterate it. There is a distinct pattern in Scripture when it comes to famine. There's always a pattern in Scripture when it comes to famine. God often uses famine to set his people up for success. In fact, let me give you kind of a, a zoom out big picture here. Genesis 12, Abraham encounters famine. In Genesis 26, this, this is where we see Isaac encounters famine. In Genesis 32, Jacob encounters famine. In Genesis 41, Joseph encounters famine. Seems like a common thing. What did all of them do? They all did very important things and great things for God, for the kingdom. And so every generation encounters famine, but it's what you do with it that counts. 
When you understand I'm in a season that feels like a famine, not necessarily a physical famine, but many times a spiritual and emotional and mental famine. I, I feel like I'm going without. I shouldn't be where I'm at. It, many times God is preparing us to do something great for his kingdom. And I would say this, every believer who strives to do anything of significance for the kingdom will encounter famine at some point. Will encounter famine at some point. And it's how you respond to it that matters. It's how am I going to respond to this thing? Many times you might, we might think of it like a wilderness season. Man, I just feel like I'm, I'm wandering or almost. I feel like I'm not to where God has for me. I'm not to the promised land just yet, but I'm in this season of waiting, of walking, and of trusting, and I'm just waiting, and I just don't know what is next for me. And so I want to encourage you with this, that if you're in a famine season, you can take heart because you're in good company. Think of the names I just listed, right? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, all in famine seasons. You're not alone, and I want to encourage you with that as well. Yeah, you're not alone compared to the people, that, the, the heroes of the faith in Scripture, but I also want to remind you, this is why it's important to be in a church surrounded by people that are faith-filled believers, because they're going to remind you that you're not alone as well. Because many people think, well, I'm going through a famine season and no one else understands what I'm going through. No one else has gone through what I'm going through. They don't get it. And I would say this, the more you get in community of the local church, the more you're going to be surrounded by people that say, hey, I've been there. Or, hey, me too. Uh, man, I'm going through some stuff. Let's join arms together and let's walk out of this season together in faith, believing that God is going to do more than we could ask, think, or imagine. But you have somebody to surround yourself with. And so um, I want to remind us of this, though. When it comes to a famine season, what dictates our prosperity is not the things of this world. It's not the, the stock market. It's not my job. Lord knows it's not the government. Amen, somebody, right? But it's a covenantal blessing from God that the enemy does not have permission to steal. That's where prosperity comes from. Now, I'll get to this in just a second. Many times we hear prosperity, and we, if you've been in church for a while, you think of a skewed prosperity gospel, and that's not what I'm talking about, but let me show you. When God gets into covenant with his people, he makes promises that he intends to keep, and he wants to take care of his people. He wants to take care of his people. Look at Deuteronomy 28, verses 2. It says this, verse 2 through 8. It says, All these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. You will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed and the crops of your land and the young of your livestock, the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks. Your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. You will be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. The Lord will grant that the enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you. They will come at you from one direction, but flee from you in seven. The Lord will send a blessing on your barns and on everything you put your hand to. The Lord your God will bless you in the land he is giving you. Verse 13, the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. If you pay attention to the commands of the Lord your God that I give you this day and carefully follow them, you will always be at the top and never at the bottom. Amen, somebody. What is this? It's, God's, it's, it's a principle of seeing when God goes into covenant with someone, he intends to back it with not just blessing and uh, you don't have to do anything and he's just going to pour out all kinds. Of, no, he's saying when we partner together, you will be cared for. And when God cares for his people, when God cares for his kids, he always does it in abundance. 
Think of uh, any parents in the room. Think of how you feel about your kids. When you see your kid in need and you can answer it, what do you want to do? You want to meet that need. You want to come in and you want to step in. And, and God, as a perfect heavenly father, says, look, if we're going to be in covenant together, I'm going to make sure and do some things that make sure that you are taken care of. And there's a big picture to this. We'll get to it in just a second. But our prosperity comes from the Lord. So when you're in a famine season, whether it doesn't matter what kind of famine you're in, whether it's spiritual, maybe it feels like it's a financial or, or whatever it might be, whenever you're in that season, you have to remember, where am I turning to for the answers? It has to be to God. It has to be to God. That's where my prosperity, that's where the answer is going to be. We're not abusing this. This is not the abused prosperity gospel. But when you read Deuteronomy 28, what you realize is that God provides for his kids. At the bottom line, that's what you have to understand. God provides for his kids. It is his desire to provide for his kids. It is his desire to make sure that he's done everything to make sure that you are cared for. And so even if there's famine in the land, here's what's really encouraging to us. If there's famine in the land, if there's famine in the world around us, you can bet that there is blessing in the house of the Lord. There's blessing in the house of the Lord. And this is what often happens, right? Whenever people come into a crisis situation, a famine situation, most of the time it is a, something that drives hunger and desperation, right? Most people, when they find God, it's out of a disaster. It's out of destruction. It's out of something hard that they're going through and they have nowhere else to turn but finally to God. And so God can use famine in such a way that it turns the hearts of people to him in, in, in a certain way. But I think this, oftentimes, um, comfortability is one of the greatest tricks of the devil. See, sometimes when we think of the attacks of the devil, we think, well, he's going to only come at me and steal from me and cause destruction and cause death in my life. But I would say that many times the, the enemy will allow you, if you're not walking with God, he will just allow your life to get so good that you don't have to turn to God or pray for anything. He just, I don't have to touch him because you're not even, I'm not even walking with God. My life's comfortable. We make a good amount of money. Our, our kids are healthy. We're good. Why would I need God? But when crisis happens, many times that's when people turn to the Lord. So I would say this, we have to, and I'll get to this in a second, kind of getting ahead of myself. You have to be intentional with fighting comfortability. Intentional with fighting comfortability. The Holy Spirit is called our comforter for a reason because God is going to put you in uncomfortable situations. Let me read you this, this prophecy from Amos chapter 8. This is about a prophecy about a, a, a famine. It says this, The days are coming, declares the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land, not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea and wander from north to east, searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. I think if, if we're not careful, this, this famine here, this, this prophecy here, this, this idea, this principle can easily creep into the American church. And here's what's scary. Here's what's scary about this. It's not a famine of the word of the Lord, but of hearing the word of the Lord. We live in the access, uh, this, this world that has access to the best preachers and teachers that you want. You can get on YouTube and listen to anyone that is teaching the word. But oftentimes I think we are so comfortable that we don't actually hear the word of the Lord. And we get into a famine of not hearing. 
Now, I think there's also, there's also a, a danger of getting into a famine of not preaching the word either. I believe that, absolutely. But if we're not careful, I think our modern church culture gets so fo- focused on performing well that we neglect teaching the truth of God's word in a way that people who have ears to hear can hear. And I, this is our heart that for Abide Church, that again, we say this all the time, that when you come here, we give you those note-taking cards so you can see all the scriptures that we talk about and so that you go home and get in your Bible to look it up. Because God wants to speak to you not just on Sunday. He wants to speak to you in your quiet time every single day as you get in his word, in his word. And so I think this, when it comes to our church, there, there's, I think, in our culture even, you look at our culture and, and where God is positioning our church, I think there is a famine in our culture, where believers and unbelievers alike are searching for fresh spiritual water. And they're searching for churches that steward the presence of God and the power of his spirit. Now, unbelievers couldn't verbalize that because it's a lot of Christianese is how we call it, right? It's a lot of of Christian words. They can verbalize it, but in here, in the deepest part of them, they are searching for the truth because God put it there. And they're searching for someone who will steward the presence of God to show them the truth and experience a God, a living God, like they never have before. And I'm going to tell you something. It's not difficult to enter into and steward the presence of God when you come in with a humble heart and make it all about him and not about us. And so let me wrap up this point by saying this. God often uses famine as a pressure cooker to develop immature believers. He often uses famine as a pressure cooker to mature and develop believers for what he's doing next. Point number two is this. You have to choose obedience over convenience. Choose obedience over convenience. We see in this story, I'm going to go uh, back to verse 2 here, here in just a second. Choose obedience over convenience. Here's what we see in Genesis 26, verse 2. It says, And the Lord appeared to him, and he said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land which I shall tell you. Let me stop there. Don't go to Egypt. Why does God say do not go to Egypt? In their perspective, at that point, Egypt looked prosperous. Egypt sounded easier. Egypt seemed like the solution. But here's the point that God's making. The blessing isn't inconvenience, it's in obedience. The blessing of God is not inconvenience, it's in obedience. Why? Because many times my plan seems more convenient to me compared to God's plan right? We just talked about this with our giving campaign. Oh, man, $100,000. We're going to get that by Thanksgiving, right? Come on, somebody. That's my plan. But convenience doesn't have the blessing of God on it. God said what? hundred grand by the end of the year. And that's what we see God did. My plan says, well, God, if you would just answer my prayer this way, that would make the most sense. And oftentimes God says, you don't see the big picture. You don't see what I'm doing. You don't know what tomorrow holds. You don't know what that person's doing right now. You don't know what this job opportunity might be coming around the corner. You have no idea what I know. His thoughts are so much higher. Blessing is not inconvenience. Where is it? It's in, it's in obedience. God's hand is not on convenience. It's on obedience. Let's continue in verse 3. It says, dwell in this land, and I will be with you, and I will bless you. There's the blessing. For to you and to your offspring, I will give you all these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and I will give, you, give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because Abraham obeyed my voice, and he kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Let me stop here for just a second and remind us, this is why we pray for the success of Israel today. 
because the land belongs to them. This is why we can see it all through Scripture. We can see the promise of God on it. This is why we pray for them. That's just a side note. That's why we stand with them as well. But here's the cool thing to see in Scripture is that we serve a generational God. And oftentimes we don't have that perspective. We serve a generational God that oftentimes what's promised to Abraham, we see fulfilled in Isaac and in Jacob and beyond. Abraham doesn't get to see everything in his lifetime. But when he walks in obedience, what happens? It says, because Abraham obeyed, you will be blessed. What? His descendants will be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed. And so I want to say this to, to everyone in the room, but parents specifically. Look, don't underestimate your obedience. Don't underestimate your obedience and what it will do for your kids. Maybe you're a young person in here and you're not married yet. You don't have kids right now even before you're married, before you have kids, don't underestimate your obedience and what it will do for your future spouse, your future kids, and your future grandkids. We serve a generational God that the decisions that you make today, if agreement with God's word, those decisions have a blessing ripple effect that impact generations after you and can impact your family tree. And so oftentimes we think, well, what's the big deal, right? I'm, I'm making these decisions for me. Our decisions never just impact us. They never just stop with us. No, there is a ripple effect that takes place. And specifically for blessing, whenever I choose, I'm going to walk in obedience, not just convenience. Lord, what do you want me to do? And I'm, by faith, I'm going to do it because I know that even if I don't get to see the whole blessing in my lifetime, my kids will prosper from it and their kids will prosper from it because I was obedient to you. Thank God that we serve a generational God where his promises don't just stop whenever we, we go to heaven someday. But God's reminding us that even in famine, if we walk in obedience rather than convenience, we will experience the goodness of the Lord. And I'll say this, the proof of loyalty is realized when the convenience of disloyalty is rejected. Let me say that again. The proof of loyalty is realized when the convenience of disloyalty is rejected. How do you know when I'm actually loyal to someone or to God? When I have an opportunity to not be loyal, but I still choose loyalty. When I have an opportunity for convenience and I don't choose convenience, I say, I'm going to walk in obedience instead. Lord, if you've asked me to do it, I'm going to do it. And that's when I show that, that my commitment to God during famine season, it shows the genuineness of my faith. Point number three is this. Let blessing be your defense. This is a big one. In this story, one of the things we're going to see is that as God moves in our life, as he moves in, in, the, in the story, the ripple effect is not just for family members, but it's also for the people around us. Let blessing be your defense. In Genesis 26, we're going to skip down to verse 12. It says, And Isaac sowed in that land, and he reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him, and the man became rich, and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants, so that the Philistines envied him. The Philistines envied him. You know, we live in a world that loves to uh, have Facebook debates. You know what I'm talking about, right? If you're on Facebook at all, somebody's always mad at somebody in the comment, comment section, and they're just going back and forth. And very rarely does anything good ever come from it. Very rarely. You're not going to convince somebody by arguing over Facebook. Let me just say that, okay? But I think oftentimes what happens is we try to debate and argue people in, into believing God and believing Jesus 
and following him when God oftentimes wants to use our life to make that statement for us. So here's what we see. My pastor said it this way. Um, in this story, he, he said this. He said, one of the greatest defenses for our walk with God is God's blessing and favor on your life. Whenever someone's even questioning you about your faith, they're coming after you, they're criticizing your faith. They're, they're, they're wondering, is it even real? Look, one of the greatest defenses of your faith is God's blessing on your life. Whenever someone wrongs you and you want to get on social media or you want to tell everybody about it, no, they're blaming me for this, but they did this, this, and this. They wronged me. I didn't wrong them. And you want to justify many times. God is saying, wait, I'll prove who my hand is on. I'll prove who has the blessing on their life if we will do what his word says. Many times the greatest defense that we have is the blessing of God. And so it's an encouragement to us that even though uh, Isaac, what did he do? He sowed in the natural. For us, when we sow into the kingdom, we will reap a harvest. When I sow time into the kingdom, when I sow effort, when I sow loyalty and commitment and finances into the kingdom, there is a harvest. It says, Isaac sowed and he reaped in the same year 100-fold. What does that show us? I think one of the principles that we understand is this. In Scripture, there is no generous harvest without a generous seed. There's no generous harvest without a generous seed. It doesn't work that way in the natural. In, in Scripture and spiritual, it does the same thing. How much am I willing to give for my Savior, for my Lord? Is it anything? Is it truly pick up my cross and follow him, deny myself no matter what and follow him? How much am I willing to go all in for him no matter what he's asking of me, whether it's my time, my effort, anything, loyalty, whatever it is, to live boldly for him? There's no generous harvest without a generous seed. And what, what do we just see? Obedience brings the prosperity. Obedience brings the prosperity. But here's the encouraging thing about prosperity. Hear me in this. This is where it's not the prosperity gospel that we're talking about, where if you give $5, you're going to have a million dollars tomorrow in your bank account. That's not it, okay? Prosperity looks different depending on the season that you're in. And this is what's encouraging. It looks, it looks different depending on the season that you're in. Meaning this, when God's prosperity shows up in your life, it usually shows up in whatever form is most needed in your life. God's prosperity shows up in whatever form is most needed. Sometimes that might be health. Sometimes it might be finances. Sometimes it might be a spiritual revelation for you that, that helps you overcome a stronghold in your life so you can walk more closely with your Lord and Savior. Sometimes that comes in a form of healing in a relationship, healing in a marriage. God's prosperity is not limited to, here's a check for a million dollars. No, his prosperity comes in whichever form is needed most in your life. And how many are you thankful that that's how it shows up? Because sometimes I have an issue going on in my life with a relationship that money can't fix. But the wisdom of God and the favor and the grace of God on a situation with that relationship can fix it. It can fix it. And so whenever we do this, sometimes it shows up external, sometimes it shows up internal, but the blessing of man is temporary, but the blessing of God is eternal and it's abundant. That's the prosperity that we're talking about. And lastly is this. This is where we get to the main point. In faith, redig old wells. That's point number four. In faith, redig old wells. You see, as we follow Isaac here, he goes on this journey of trusting God, following God, not going with convenience where there's easy money, but following God, putting in the work, partnering with him. And in doing so, all of a sudden, God's blessing begins to be poured out on Isaac. And let's continue in verse 15 here. 
and it says this, Genesis 26, 15. Now the Philistines had stopped and filled with earth all the wells that his father, father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham, his father. Verse 18, and Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham, his father, which the Philistines had stopped after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the names that his father had given them. This piece right here of this story is I think such a prophetic picture of where we're at as a church even right now. And what this means for your life, I'll start there, is this. The enemy wants to turn your well of living water on the inside of you. He wants to turn that into a planter box of disappointment. Meaning this, every seemingly unanswered prayer in your life feels like just another shovel full of dirt in your spirit. Because Christ said what? You'll have a, a, a fountain, a, a, a river of living water, but a well of living water, a fountain of living water on the inside of you, which is salvation. And it's, it's full of life and it's full of, of energy and it's moving and it's healthy. And he says, that's your spirit. But every time we walk through this life and maybe something doesn't go our way or maybe we pray and it didn't seem to happen how we thought it should happen, it feels like the enemy is throwing dirt into that well. And eventually the, the devil wants you to get to a point where you're so stopped up with dirt that you feel like you don't have any fresh living spiritual water anymore. And I don't know about you, but I've been there. It's like, Lord, we're praying and we're, we're trusting and God, we're in this situation and what's going on? But the enemy wants you to get to a place where all you see is an old well filled with dirt, just a planter box packed with dirt. And you're going there to get fresh water. You're going there to get spiritual water, but there's nothing there and you're frustrated and you're dragging and you're just spiritually dehydrated and you're weary and you're just lacking passion for the things of God. That's what the enemy wants you to get. But I'm telling you, in this year, I'm believing that God is stirring in us that there are some old wells in our lives that God's saying, do you have the faith to dig again? You maybe have dug them out before and it's been years and that dream that you had at one time that you felt like was just so active and you could go to and it gave you passion, it feels like it's been covered up and that dream is too far gone to accomplish. Do you have the faith to dig again? Maybe you feel like, man, that, that, that job opportunity, that thing that I was pursuing, that degree I was going after, I just feels like it's too far gone. I don't, do you have the faith to dig again? That, that marriage and you feel like you're just on the brink of divorce and you don't know what to do. Do you have the faith to dig again? Spiritually dig again. That's what God has for us. That's what he's asking. And as a church, I'll say this. We are going to redig some spiritual wells in this region. And I'm believing that we're going to help bring revival to Tulsa again. Because some people say, well, we got a church on every street corner. We, we, you know, well, do we really need revival? Look at all these churches everywhere. And I would say this. I think there's been times where We've, we've been asked the question, does Tulsa need another church? I think there are many times, we're only three and a half years old, there's been times I've wrestled with that question. We really need another church? And I think the answer is this, yes and no. Does Tulsa need another dead church with a well full of packed dirt and no living water, no presence of the Lord? No. But does Tulsa need a church that's passionate about redigging old wells so that people can experience living water again in the presence of our God? Absolutely. I can dig a well for that. I can go to work for that. 
Because here's what we see. In our region, you know, the Tulsa region is once known, or maybe it's still known as the buckle of the Bible belt. If you've ever heard that before. But there were so many amazing ministries here in this region, whether it's ministries or school of ministries. You look back in the, in the 80s, the 90s, these amazing ministries. Uh, you look at Rhema, Church on the Move, Victory, Guts, all of these, these generals of the faith for this region that had amazing things, amazing success, amazing harvest of souls for people in this region. But I think because we had it so good for so long in the Tulsa region, I think that oftentimes we've become so comfortable that we've lost our passion for revival. We're used to churches everywhere and everyone's basically going to church and every church kind of feels the same and we're just kind of going through the motions and we're checking the box. But I think God is doing something in this new year where he's saying, I want, I want people to go to some of those old wells for this region. Old prophecies, old, wor- old words from the Lord, old promises, old dreams from some of these other ministries that have been stopped up. And he's looking for a church of people, a body of believers that say, we will spiritually go and redig again. And we will name those wells, the names that our fathers put on them. We've lost our passion for revival. We've become comfortable because we realize how good we have it here. And I think this, our comfortability made us believe a lie that church was about entertaining us instead of glorifying Jesus. You wanna kill revival? You wanna kill a move of God? Make church about me and not about him. Make church about me. Well, they don't sing those songs that I like. (laughs) Worship was good, but it wasn't as good as over there. So we're gonna fill in the blank. There's a million different criticisms that you could say or that I've heard and it's heartbreaking. Because if I don't like worship, that's okay. We weren't here to worship me. (laughs) We're here to worship him. I think God is looking at the region And he's saying, are there churches that have enough faith to go to the land, to go to the region, to go to some of these old promises that were made, prophecies that were spoken over the Tulsa region and say, yeah, we want to believe for that again. Yeah, we want to see that again. And I'm praying and believing that that will be our church. And look at this, look at Genesis 26, verse 22, and I'll finish right here. It says, and he moved from there and he dug another well and they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehoboth saying, for now the Lord has made room for us and we shall be fruitful in this land. The Lord has made room for us and we shall be fruitful in this land. And that's my prayer for us as a church. That last part of the verse right there, Lord, we've been faithful. Lord, we're committed. Lord, as we dedicate ourselves to your word and spiritually redig old wells of revival, Lord, will you make room for us in this land? Will you make room for us in Tulsa, in the surrounding region? Lord, will you make room? Will you make room for us to be fruitful in this land? Will you make room for us to put down roots in this land? Will you prosper us in this land and lead many into abiding relationship with him? It's there, all of our momentum, all of our, the best days are right in front of us. If we go in faith and in obedience, and that's what's exciting about where we're at as a church. It's all right in front of us. We're we're living in the good old days right now. We're growing, 
We're, we're moving, God's working. We have testimonies of healing. We'll be sharing some more of those in the next few weeks. God, God is doing amazing things. But my prayer is that we would be a church family that redigs old wells in this region. Let's raise our kids in revival. Amen, somebody? Man, let's raise our kids in a church that they are excited to attend. Amen, somebody? Let's not forget the potential of a church that walks boldly in obedience to God and his word. Here's why. The potential is this. One day, we will baptize your friends in this church. Those friends that you're believing for that aren't walking with God, we'll baptize them here. One day, we'll baptize your family members here. One day, your kids that are far from God, that have drifted, that are prodigal and they're far, one day we'll baptize them here in this, in this place, in this church. Your future kids, we'll baptize them here. Your grandkids here in this place. The potential of a faith-filled church to walk in obedience to God is incredible. Not just for a group of people, but for you as an individual. But nothing great gets built by people who are lazily content in the kingdom. Nothing great gets built by people who are lazily content in the kingdom. So let me encourage you with this. Your faithfulness, your commitment to this church isn't about building something cool for us. It's not about building something cool for us. I could care less about being cool, okay? It's about fulfilling a promise and a prophecy made to previous generations. And it's about impacting people that are far from God. And if it happens to be cool along the way, that's a bonus. That is not my focus. It said, when their father Abraham died, they put dirt where there was once living water and the people went without. And I think there are many generals of the faith that have come through Tulsa and that are in this region that have passed the baton or they have passed away and are with Jesus. Think of Pastor Hagen, Pastor Billy Joe Doherty, Pastor Willie George. I could go on, whether they've gone to heaven or maybe they've just passed the baton and they are in retiring or, or they're, they're kind of watching, it feels like from the sideline right now, I promise you that there's probably been dreams and prophecies that they received in the 80s and in the 90s that have not yet come to pass. And I imagine some of those generals of the faith, they're in heaven right now and they're looking down at this region. They say, Lord, I thought you said this and this and this. And I hear Jesus as the head of the church just say, just wait. He's a generational God. And I just say, why not now? Why not us? Why not some people who say, I got faith to dig again. I got faith to go for that promise again, to go for that prophecy. I have faith to go again. Why not now? And if we get back to the simple gospel, not just feel good messages, not half-hearted commitments, not easy button Christianity in the church. If we get back to some of the basics, I promise you, God's gonna move in a great way. And we're gonna see many people Many people that we know and love have been praying for for years come to faith in Jesus. And I, I know this, the region is thirsty and God's prompting us to redig old wells of revival. And if we put our shovels together, we can make the enemy pay for every year he has stolen away from God's people in this region and beyond, but starting right here. So I don't know about you church, but I'm excited for 2024. Our best days are our next days. Let me pray as I wrap up. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for your goodness. I thank you, that, I thank you for your word, Lord. There's so much we can learn from it, so much we can take from it. Lord, as we look at your word today, as we look at the Old Testament, I know that there are principles that we can apply to our lives. And Lord, I know that you're speaking prophetically to our church today 
that our best days are right in front of us, Lord, as we walk in obedience to you, as we choose obedience over comfort, as we choose to glorify you, not just entertain ourselves, Lord, as we walk in boldness to who you're calling us to be, Lord, I thank you that as we redig old wells, as we sow into the kingdom, Lord, I thank you that this year we will reap a hundredfold in the spiritual. I thank you for it, Lord, that our church this year is going, coming into a season of a harvest. And Lord, I pray for everyone in our church, everyone here today listening to my voice at a later time. I thank you, Lord, that there are principles they can apply to their life. I pray that you would show clearly to them the steps of, of obedience that they need to take so that you can work and bring a harvest in their life as well. And Lord, we're gonna give you along the way as we go through it all, as we step into it, we're gonna give you glory, praise, and honor for all of it because you're good and you deserve the highest praise. You deserve all of our glory in Jesus holy name. Everyone said, amen, amen. Thank you for listening to the Abide Church podcast. If you'd like to partner with us financially, or if you're in the Tulsa area and would like to attend our weekly gathering, you can check out abidechurch.com.